we, Asarva, the future of education starts here. Hello and welcome to this episode of Everyday Genius. I'm your host, Pete Craig, and today it's a great pleasure to welcome someone who, um, she's an author, she's an educator, um, but, but so much more. She's, uh, she's currently the principal and school designer at, uh, at the Campbell School of Innovation in California, uh, but she's also the co-author of a book called Design Thinking for School Leaders, um, Five Roles and Mindsets that Ignite Positive Change. Um, that was the first book. I think there's another book as well, which is Design Thinking in Play, which is an action guide for educators. Uh, so please join me in welcoming uh, Cami Thordeson to uh, today's show. Cami, welcome. Thank you, Pete. It's lovely to be here. Cool. I love talking about design thinking and education. Uh, perfect. Well, we're in the right place then, aren't we? Um, so let's let's kind of like start, I guess. Let's dive in. And what what is a school of innovation? So that's a great question. I feel that when we started designing this school, the word innovation didn't have quite the tone to it that it does now. I feel like innovation is highly overused in some instances, and especially in education, it's become kind of a buzzword. So when we talk about innovation, we really clarify for our parents and for our kids that it is about being able to see the world around you and connect things in new and interesting ways. So for us, that design thinking foundation gives us an opportunity to work with kids and help them do some need finding and sort of understand a problem before they dive into just solving it, which I think is a necessary skill as we look at the world around us and see how complex things are becoming. So for us, innovation really isn't just trying something new, but it's really helping kids connect things in new and different ways. Mm. So perhaps a little bit more like creativity then for, for want of a, a better word. Yes, I think it's creativity intertwined with critical thinking. Mm. It's interesting because the, the, the first thing that springs to mind when you said that was uh, I did an interview with a guy called Dr. Mike Rucker. Um, and Mike is, uh, has been studying and he's writing a book on the science of fun. And he was telling me about some studies that were done just, just to like, you know, try and try and uh, try and demonstrate the difference between the way adults think and the way children think. And essentially, they took two groups to a soft play center. You know, one of these play centers where they've got all these kind of different shapes, padded squares and circles and tubes, and um, and they just said this. So they said to the you know, the adults, right, just go play, do do whatever you want to do. And what they observed was that the parents walked up and. They sat at the side and they tried to figure out how they could make these things go together and how they could build shapes in the form um, that they were familiar with. Yet when they, when they did the same with the kids, the kids just threw themselves into it and basically just came up with these, you know, these amazing you know, like structures that sometimes fell down, sometimes they stayed together. Um, oh, hold on a second. Yeah, some, I think we're still recording. Um, so sometimes you know, kind of stay together and um, sometimes you know, fall apart. And you know, that observation that they said you know, was, uh, was really interesting. You know, and that's kind of like the difference between the way your kids can have fun and tap into that kind of creative, innovative ways of thinking, whereas adults, you know, through the conditioning that they've had, rightfully or wrongfully, yet now are unable to you can't allow themselves you know, to think outside of the box, so to speak. I think we sort of drill that out of kids through our 
traditional public school education. I think we teach kids that there is a right answer and a wrong answer. And so mm -hmm. a lot of times we don't let kids take that risk or try um, because there's, they become af afraid of failing, right? They become yeah. afraid of being wrong. And so it is important that we give kids that space to explore and play. And, and we continue to do that past kindergarten and first grade. And, and so we really embrace that day of play, that national day of play as well. And we've talked a lot about how do we make sure that sort of that that spirit of play pervades all the work that we do that we always give kids that opportunity to sort of play and um, take that risk and know that it's okay if it doesn't work you can go back and try again and i think i know we talk a lot about growth mindset and all of those pieces but i think putting that into action and helping kids really sort of internalize that 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 is that's an okay thing it's an okay thing to fail and so we actually, as a staff, we have failure agreements, right? We have a failure agreement on our staff that says, look, we're, we're pretty public about our failure and we own it and we look at it and we learn from it. And then we go back and we try again. And so we share that with our parents and we share that with our kids. Like this is, it's okay. That's amazing. You mentioned growth mindset there, you know, because that is such a, um, an interesting you know, like subject you know, to, you know, to explore and this idea that um, often those, those children that, that perform extremely well at school, um, you know, don't have, as you might expect, yeah, a growth mindset. Many of those who perform you know, very, very well in collect tests and just in, in classwork are actually the ones that have a fixed mindset. And you find that you know, when, when they do fail or when they're asked to do something outside of the, the collect parameters of, that test or of, of what they know what they've been trained you know, to perform against they they then fail because they don't have that capability to um to look at things differently that's so true and we have seen that you know our school is only in its third year uh we're in the campbell union school district here in the bay area and our school is uh currently up to sixth grade so we're eventually going to build it out to a ka but we found that as we bring kids into this model and we especially every year we have new kids that come into the model that is where they struggle the most because they want someone to give them a right answer and we're really working to not give them an answer but to let them kind of have that productive struggle and it's been a huge piece of what's happening right now with distance learning as our kids can't be in classrooms is how do we help parents understand yeah. that idea of productive struggle because that it's really different as a parent when you're sitting there and you're watching it every day and you're not sure how to help and so our parents are kind of trying to navigate that as well yeah. how how important is how important is educating the parents as well about this this type of kind of like school and this type of education this type of learning it's huge it's a i think it will be a big part of what we need to sort of build out more of as we continue to move forward. Our parents, once they've been with us for a little bit, they they sort of relax and they kind of take a breath and they're like, oh, okay, this is okay. We're seeing, you know, we're seeing our kid flourish and we're seeing growth, but I know when they first come in, um, and especially as we've gotten into distance learning, they're like, where's our schedule? We need, you know, they want, they want kids to sit in front of a screen right now for four hours a day. And it's like, we, that doesn't work. We know that. So, um, it is really big. And so the more we can talk to parents and the more we can help them figure out how to support that at home, uh, the more our kids will grow and the more they'll excel. Mm. It's, it's almost like school, um, 
like edu- we're, we're starting to realize that education is no longer just something that we can pass off to to schools and to teachers yeah it is very much something that we all have to take responsibility for you know whether it's parents aunties uncles you know brothers sisters um you know, future employers everyone has to take a responsibility in this now don't they it isn't it isn't enough especially with you know, like gen z and gen alpha like kids it, it isn't enough for them just to be sat in front of sat in a classroom in front you know um, with a teacher at the front of the front of the room oh so agree and i think that if you look at empathy and and you know coming from that lens that parents have a lot more empathy now for educators and for what happens in school because they've had to sit there and um you know not only and kind of fill in that role as much as they can and it's yeah. uh it's it's hard it's it's a tough time you know i i no parents are really struggling and we're doing our best to try to figure out the best ways to support and help them in this new landscape that we're in. But it's every day. It's, it's a new adventure. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what is the, you know, what do you, what, what do you, what do you do as a school to support parents? How do you, or how you start? I guess this is still relatively new for you. You said the school's only its third year. Um, but in three years, you know, I'd imagine you've you've had to adapt you know, relatively quickly in order to try and bring those parents on so as they can actually then support the children as well. Yes, I think it's a lot about communication. I think we communicate on a fairly regular basis with parents about why we do what we do and, and what our vision is. Uh, so it's continually reinforcing that message and anchoring everything to that why. We've done a lot of work um, where we bring parents in and we actually do some, you know, education around design thinking and we, we run them through some design thinking, you know, hands-on kinds of challenges. And we just try to pull them into conversations a lot where we model what we're doing with kids. We redesigned our back to school night. So it wasn't a traditional back to school night, but when they came in, they actually, you know, played some improv games and they they did some different activities that required them to sort of interact with each other in a different way um this year we just had this last week we did a a virtual parent meeting where we you know tried to run through and sort of establish who we were and and answer parents questions so far Um, well and we'll try to offer some of those experiences virtually it won't have quite the same impact that it's had in the past but the more we can communicate bring our parents in bring them in so that they get a window into classrooms and kind of experience and see what happens that that provides that empathy and helps them connect to, to the work. Mm. Do you find, I had a conversation with someone, um, someone recently and they were talking about this, the many parents, you know, that she's been speaking to, you know, have this, uh, yeah, have, have these not good, these, these traumatic, um, kind of memories of of school yeah and so they're very quite reluctant you to actually to revisit that and to go back into school and to um and to try and kind of understand what their what their children are going through and and how the school experience has changed for their children is that something that you you kind of see within parents as well oh for sure i think we all have memories from childhood that that stay with us in school certainly we spend so much time in school as um, during those formative years, that's where we are most of the time is in school. So the, it leaves quite an imprint on who we are and, and how we want to engage with school as adults. And so for sure, there's parents that come in with really fond memories of school and really embrace, you know, their kids very excited. And there are parents that want nothing to do with it. You know, that is like, no, I'm not, I'm not going back there. <laughs> well, so, so what are the, 
what what are the main reasons and i'm sure you've i'm sure you've kind of like you've, you've done some research into this or you've asked parents here what are the reasons for uh, for parents choosing to send their their children to you know, um, a school like yours over you know, you know one of the many like, mainstream schools you know in in your school district uh, so we are a public school which is unusual to see a public school or to have a district that supports this kind of work within a public school system um, but we are a public school and i think we have a lot of a lot of children coming up today that that don't fit it's like the round uh peg in the square hole right they don't fit the traditional model of education and they their student is is not really flourishing or not not as successful in that model or they're really creative at home or they're just they're looking for different opportunities for their student to explore and um, I don't want to say that all the kids we have are, are challenged but there we have great kids and we have a range across the board of kids on on different academic spectrums and different socioeconomic spectrums and we have a, a, a different nationalities we have a very interesting and diverse and fun population that is really great to work with um, but I think it's for parents that are just, they can see that, and for parents that can kind of see around corners and know that the future, what we're doing in public education, isn't going to best prepare their students mm -hmm. for the future that they're gonna inherit. So we, we tout that message a lot, like public school in general has to shift. It, it just has to. And we're not producing the type of students that we know we're gonna need 10 years, 20 years from now. Yeah. And I think I think that is the that is the reality, and it always makes me makes me happy when I hear other people like saying that because you know it's it's one of the things that I do believe that you know, the education system just just isn't. I mean, it hasn't changed for you know, centuries. Um, <laughs> in in in, you know, in many ways, you know, it's uh, yes, there, there have been small changes, but fundamentally, you know, the the education system is still very similar you know, to the one you know, that was around a hundred years ago. Um, I'm not so sure, you know, about in the U.S., but in the U.K. certainly, you know, it hasn't really changed that much. There are a few things that have changed, but the majority of it is still focused on you know, work on the things that you're not good at, um, improve those things, and there's more emphasis put on those things than there is actually on kind of really finding out what you know, what someone's good at, and and it, you know, allowing them to explore uh, explore those things and allowing them to develop those those skills. Because all too often, you know, we get to we get to the age where you leave school, um, and those things have almost you've almost forgotten them. You know, they're a diff, they're a distant memory now. Yeah, if you can Google that question, it's probably not a great question to answer, right? And so that's kind of how I see public education: is we teach our kids a lot of things that you could Google in in three seconds and have an answer to, and that is not going to help them with some of the complex and wicked problems yeah. that are surrounding us every day at the moment. I mean, every day we wake up here in California and I mean, we've got the wildfires going on right now and we've, you know, not, not just the pandemic, but there's all these other, you know, we look at our, 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 um, social conflicts right now with race and how we're really examining our relationships with each other. And, and are we giving kids those skills? Are we helping them be able to have empathy, one, and two, then kind of recognize their own biases and critically think how, how they would handle something, right? And, and here in the Valley, we talk a lot about artificial intelligence and, and the development of all of the Internet of Things and the impact of that. 
and who's doing the programming of those things and how is that impacting how those things interact with the other people i mean it's it's a very complex world that we are currently navigating yeah for sure for sure and it's yeah it's it's funny isn't it because actually what they need more of um and and some of the studies that i've seen you know, indicate that these uh, um these new generations the you know the, the generation of now the the gen z the gen alpha um you know collect children already have you know this but they they need to understand they need to develop their uh, their empathy more they need to understand how to um how to feel and then how to interpret those feelings and be able to kind of like almost self-regulate them so as rather than kind of like it being um being triggered you know they can acknowledge what they're feeling and then they can you know almost kind of like feel it through um and rather than kind of like reacting you know, in a um in a negative way you know they can find find a way through it yeah th those are that part of that need finding piece yeah. that we help our kids figure out like are you asking the right questions and um sometimes you have to go back and ask different questions and and all of that just to get them to sort of see different opportunities and what they yeah. see around them mm. yeah and it's like you say you there's definitely a lot more a lot more challenges you know, there. I don't think any other any other generation you know, before them has had to face such a complex um, complex world. Um, and when we look at the challenges that they face, when we look at the challenges that you know, our societies, our generations have uh, have created for them to step into, um, you know, they need to. They need. We need to educate them in a different way, or we need to allow them to explore their own education in a different way, so as they can come up with the solutions that we haven't been able to, that have eluded us so far. Right, right. And it's the equity piece is another whole entire conversation, right? And probably a whole nother podcast just on equity and how we continue to lessen the, the gap, um, which is every day getting wider and wider, right? So, um, yeah. but that's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole deeper problem. <laughs> I saw a I saw a study recently that was released actually, um, and it was talking about um, it was a survey that had been done with a group of children by um, an insights um, company that works specifically with uh, with kind of Gen Z and Gen Alpha children uh, across the world. And one of the things that they've seen is that um, around about forty between forty and fifty percent of uh, children between the ages of seven seven and fourteen don't actually see the benefit of exams and testing in schools. Oh, I agree with them there. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, we test their, I mean, it's hard because we're, we need to be held accountable as public educators. So I understand that piece. Um, but there's so much more that we should be looking at than just that one measure. It's yeah. hard to frame a whole kid on just that one test score or to say how successful they're going to be or how, how well, you know, it, it's hard. I think it's hard for kids to see that as a value measurement. Um, so we have to build out other measures to balance that. And we have to make that as important as that single test score that's driving a lot of our decisions right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if we look at, if you look at like, you know, learned experience, learned experience is far more valuable than, 
um, than kind of memorized um, knowledge. And it kind of speaks a little bit to uh, to your approach, which is the the, allow, the allowing them to find um, find their own answers, the allowing them to ask those questions. That that very act kind of is an experience for them, isn't it? It's a it's a finding out, it's a discovery, you know. And I think actually that's that's far more valuable than um, than making them cram for you know uh, a week or six weeks, whatever it is that they might do when they as they get older, you know, to answer a set of questions. That knowledge is going to be far, far, far more beneficial to them as they you know, um, move out into the world. Well, it's more authentic learning, right? I mean, if you think about your own learning experiences and what it looks like to really learn something, we we've done that as a staff. We've broken that down and we've said, what what does it mean to learn? What what did how does it feel when you learn? What is, what do you do when you learn? Like we've really had that conversation. Because it, it isn't opening a textbook and just reading something and then regurgitating it up on a worksheet somewhere. It's, there's, it's so much more than that. It is the application. It's the connecting. It's the trying and failing. It's all of those things. So if you define your own learning experience, and then how do you replicate those learning experiences within that classroom? Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to just go back to the, to the book. And um, yeah, in the in the title there, it talks about five roles and mindsets. Um, can you just share with us what what those five roles and mindsets are? Sure. So the first one is opportunity seeker. An opportunity seeker is just that. It's a lot of times we walk around our world and we see problems, and so it's how do you flip that frame and how do you walk through your day and see opportunities? So even that simple reframe sometimes can help you approach a solution differently than if you just see it as a problem that you have to react to and solve right away. Um, another one is uh, experience architect. And this is probably one of my favorites because it really is about how we design experiences from big experiences to moment by moment experiences. And so, you know, how do we craft our invitation? How do we, how do we invite students into our lesson or into our classroom or, how do we you know, redesign back to school night so that it isn't the typical sit and get for parents, you know, that both teachers and parents don't really enjoy very much. Um, it's just that whole looking at experiences differently. I love the Dan and um, Chip Heath book on moments, right? That, that they're, they're powerful and that's what imprints memories for us. So how do we design those with, with intent? Another one is rule breaker. And I think rule breakers are the, the the people that give you those thoughtful headaches, right? They're the people who question and ask, why are we still doing it this way? Why can't we look at this in a different lens? Um, it's not about just going out and, and wreaking havoc as a rule breaker, but as intentionally questioning things that maybe have become a habit or have become ingrained. Uh, producer is another one. And producer is about getting stuff done. We can sit and have conversations and talk about it a lot of time, but we really need to ask more questions, be more curious. We need to dig in, we need to try, we need to experiment. So producer is about making sure that we're, that we're moving forward, that we're actually, um, it's that bias towards action piece and design thinking that we are, that we are moving, we're, we're getting forward. We're, yeah. we're getting stuff done is what I'm trying to say. And then um, finally, the fifth one is storyteller. And storytelling is probably the most important thing. And it also weaves kind of throughout the whole design thinking process because it's really about communicating and story is so powerful. And that's part of how we communicate with our parents if we can continue to storytell what we do so that they can relate 
and experience it and share in it, that's what brings our community together around a vision, right? That storytelling piece. So that's a really powerful piece to be able to teach our kids even how to share an idea and connect people to it and engage them with whatever it is they're trying to, to tell them. So um, storytellers, that, that fifth, fifth awesome. one. Uh, and and these, are, these are for both parents, children and teachers, I guess. The, these yeah, we wrote the book with the lens of school leaders, but it really could be. We've had a lot of teachers pick it up and, and some parents read it as well. Um, so, and we didn't, we really talked more about the, the mindsets of design thinking in this book. And then the second book was sort of a follow-up of now let's dig into the design thinking process. Cause then we had a lot of people question, well, what does that really look like? What kind of tools can you use for that part of the process? And um, that's where we, the, the other one became kind of a how-to. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, it's, it's interesting that yeah, the, the last one that you talked about was story. Um, so uh, within, uh, within like a, a mastermind group that I'm a part of, one of the things that we're, we're diving into is kind of this idea of story and yeah, how most of us, as we, as we move into adulthood, have lost our connection to our original myth story. Yeah, so, so the piece that actually makes us who we are because what we've, what's happened over the years is we've taken on board you know, people's comments and we've, we've seen how people have reacted to us. And so we then start to weave a story around who we are and how we should behave in order to get the things that we want. And that isn't actually our story. So you know, what we're looking at is, you know, how do you actually bring, bring that back um, as an adult? How do you actually bring that back and strip all of those other stories away to get back to who you are? And I think, you know, it could work the other way or it should work the other way within schools, you know, and within education. How do we, uh, how do we share the importance of story with children and allow them to stay connected to their original story as they go out into the world and as they take on board you know, other people's views of them and other people's comments around them? I love that. And that, yeah, that is so critical, right? To even knowing who you are as a learner. Yeah. Uh, and being able to define your own learning profile so that you know how to ask or find what you need. And, and uh, with everything coming at us right now, you have got to be a learner. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah there, is, there is no doubt about that. There is no doubt about that. Um, how, how was this, where, where did this come from? So this idea of, you know, kind of, you know, design thinking, this idea of, you know, the, the innovation school, uh, all of the, um, not just philosophies, but all of the practices that you've now put into you know, this new school, what, what triggered that? Um, I think that's a great question. And if I look back, I think it, it's just connecting with the right people and having the right conversations and being in the right place at the right time. Uh, when I, I taught in Colorado for a while, and then we moved out to California and I happened to land in a school where I connected with the principal really well. And she actually was the co-author that I worked with on this book. And um, I think as an educator, I've always been somebody who's always looking to do something different to write, to, to connect with kids and to, you know, push the, the curriculum out of the way because we can go deeper and we can, you know, we can re-engage in a different way. And so I've always sort of looked for that, like, like how do you teach outside the box more or less? And I think it was connecting with like-minded educators, educating yourself and always being out there to see what's new, what's different, what are people doing? Um, you have to seek 
knowledge, right? You have to seek that information and connect with people who are, are in it with you, like-minded. So through that, we, we kind of ran across the Stanford Design School or D-School, um, and I got connected with design thinking through that program, and it just clicked and it made sense, and um, we just went in deeper and had more conversations, and we just started talking about what we were seeing and moving up through into ad administration and whatnot and education, and it, it just sort of evolved that way. It was that it was it was that uh, thoughtful conversation that I, I don't know how to explain it. Kismet. What what was the word for that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe maybe it's manifestation. Maybe maybe, maybe it's, that's yeah. Maybe it's uh, you you were answering a a calling. Um, and yeah, uh, the universe <laughs> the universe has delivered delivered it for you. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it's it's a little bit of that, yeah. What's so so was this? You said this is a yeah a public school. Was this something that was then? Um, not sure of the right word. You know, almost kind of like commissioned. You know, did did they did the school board did they commission you know the creation of this new school using that format? Or? Um, in in a way. So when I came on board to this district, I came in as their director of innovation and digital learning. So um, I, I, because of my background and some work, the work I'd done around design thinking, they said, well, you should be on our design team. We would like to take our, one of our middle schools and we would like to reinvent that school. We'd like to do something different there. Uh, we'd like it to be a K-8, but other than that, we don't really know what it should be. And so working with a group of people and sort of exploring and looking at what's happening across the country. I had been down and visited some other design schools, Design 39 down in San Diego, um, all the way out to Atlanta to see uh, Mount Vernon, which is a private school, but just really look, you know, connecting again with those thought leaders and yeah. having a lot of conversations about what they were trying and what they were doing, and then bringing that back and sharing. We, we did some touring we took a few people and went down and actually you know walked through the schools and saw what was happening um and we came back and we said let's let's be this let's be a school of innovation what does that mean let's define that let's create some core values um we have three pillars seek learn and lead that we use with our kids um and then we brought on a principal and a few teachers and we spent a year just carving that out what do we want it to be what do we want it to look like we had some, uh, the district was really great and gave us a lot of leeway with hiring and being able to really ask some different questions in our interviews, being able to really try, you know, knowing that we were going to go in as sort of a research and development project, right? Like that's, let's make this an R&D school. Let's, let's see what we can do here because what we ultimately want to do is we want a lot of that stuff that's working well to scale out to the rest of the district. So how can we sort of push the boundaries a little bit and then share what's working and scale it out across our district. So that's, that's sort of how that happened. And uh, the school opened as a, as a little uh, kindergarten through fourth grade school. And uh, we had about 280 kids that first year. And this year we are sitting at about 560 kids. We had almost 200 families on our waiting list this last spring. So I think we're doing some good things. I think we have a long ways to go. We have a lot of work ahead of us, but I do think we're starting to really, really finalize what we want or get a, a clearer picture of where we're headed, what we want it to be. 
Yeah. And of course it evolves every year. We don't lock ourselves into anything. It's got to be fluid and it's got to yeah. change. I mean, that, that, that approach, you know, kind of, yeah, ironically for where you are, um, yeah, it, it's, it reminds me very much of the way, you know, technology companies are, you know, created the way technology companies operate. You know, they're, you know, they're always, they're, they're always going through this iterative process, you know, of kind of like review, um, yeah, amend and improve. And it sounds very much like, you know, that's, yeah, that's what's happening here is you, you know, you're looking at what's needed, you're making some changes, you're adapting things and you're just keeping things flexible rather than it being too rigid. It, that is a must. And we actually are really clear with people when we hire them that um, that is your, the number one thing you can bring to the table is adaptability mm-hmm. and being flexible because that is, uh, we, again, we have, we have some agreements amongst each other. And one of those is like, we listen like our minds can be changed, right? We, we really intentionally uh, and thoughtfully look at what we do. We question things. Um, we do allow, you know, because so, we're hiring every year, which has been great, but we do tell people sometimes you need to bring in a life preserver, right? Like you need some things to keep you afloat because it's a lot of new. And um, we tell people to pack light, come with, you know, a, an open mind, be willing to try um, and know that it's okay if you have to, you know, pull some stuff that you've been doing for a while, but we're going to keep pushing and we're going to keep questioning. Yeah. And you're going to probably ask, you know, or and find a time when that thing doesn't work anymore because you've moved past it. So, um, we want people to, to feel comfortable, uh, but we also want people to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think that's what moves us forward. You, you, you mentioned earlier when you, when you quite first came to, uh, to the area, you, you were, it was kind of e-learning and um, yeah, kind of innovation. Uh, how are you, how do you see children, you know, how do you see them learning? Yeah. What, what, what's changing in that space? Cause again, you know, studies that I've seen, you know, suggest that, um, suggest that these, these generations now are actually using, they're finding ways to use, use technology, um, that we have, we've never thought of. Yeah. And there was, there was, there was a study done and it was about how children communicate. And what they found was that interestingly, you know, girls would use something, would use something like WhatsApp to communicate with their friends and to, to arrange meetings. What they found though, was that boys were um, not using WhatsApp, but what they were doing was they were, they were meeting with inside, you know, um, you know, kind of like games like Fortnite. So they were meeting inside these, these gamified environments and then they were having chats that, and within that framework, they were talking about what had happened at school, what had happened in their lives and they were arranging to meet externally within this, this gaming environment. Yeah. And this was never, you know, these things were never the intention um, for that, but that's just how they've adapted to it. So yeah, what, yeah, what are the changes that you're seeing and how do you think education is going to, is going to evolve to allow them that flexibility to learn in a way that's native to that? Well, that, that is partly a million dollar question, right? Like I I wish we had a a magic wand that would just give us an answer to that. But I think what, and now because we are in distance learning here and we're all virtual at the moment, um, we're seeing a lot of our teachers trying to catch up, right? With, with the kids and the kid, you know, one of my teachers said the other day, she said, you know, we were on a zoom meeting. I couldn't figure out how to do something. And one of the kids, you know, said, meet me after this and I'll give you a little tutorial on how to fix that in Zoom. Like, I mean, he, they, they know more than 
then we do at this point there, you know, it's their world. And so I think we can let them show leadership in that world and we can learn from them. That is the best stance to have. I think we also have to help kids with some of the social pieces because the, the, uh, the screen time and the influence of social media right now is, is huge on kids and whether, you know, there's a lot of pressure on some of our, our teenage kids right now with, with all of that. And so helping them navigate that means that we as educators have to do a lot more social emotional support and we have to help kids really look at feelings and look at empathy and how do you, how do you deal with things like that? Because that's, that's a place where they are struggling with the social piece. Yeah. And I think, yeah, certainly the, the innovations um, yeah, around social connectivities don't, don't help with that, you know, because they're, they're exposed to, they're exposed to images, they're exposed to, you know, like stories, uh, influence um, that just isn't representative of real life. And they're trying to live up to, you know, something that, that even the people there, they believe, you know, have these lives aren't living. Yeah, do you have, you know, do you do you see that within you know within the kite not necessarily the oh you might even see it within the within the children you know within your care you know how does that how does that impact them well i think it's helping kids understand that they create this this bubble right because because they don't understand that behind the app or whatever they're using there's this algorithm that's like personalizing it to what to their thoughts and their beliefs and their social circle and all of that. So it's helping kids understand, first of all, how some of that technology works and why it does like Facebook, what, why its algorithms are there and what they purposefully do. I know kids don't get on Facebook anymore, but it is the whole point of understanding that somebody behind is programming all of that stuff to do a certain thing and to actually change your behavior in some way. So can you recognize that? Can you see that? Are you even aware of that? And then I think it's, it's under helping our students shut that down and get back to some face-to-face communication. Now we don't, we don't say kids, tell kids they can do those things. Like right now we're all, all of our lessons are in zoom and there was, there's been conversations like, well, do you let kids use breakout rooms? And it's like, well, we absolutely let kids use breakout rooms, but we certainly have to spend some time teaching them how to collaborate within a professional space. Like this is school and school looks like this and this is how we talk to each other at school. And so when we're in a breakout room, we're gonna have like, you know, that you have to set that expectation Mm. and you have to get kids um, comfortable and develop the skills so that they can do that. And there's a trust factor, right? You have to build trust and and that's gonna work. So we've talked to a lot of our parents about that too. Like they wanna have kids on, on, the technology right now, four hours a day, it should just take school and put it online. Well, it, there's a lot that goes into a classroom that you can't replicate online. Yeah. And we have to really build some skills and some trust uh, before we get there. So we kind of have to go slow in order to go fast. Yeah. Because um, we want kids to be able to talk to each other and collaborate and have those meaningful moments. Um, but we got to teach them how to do it yeah. well. Yeah. It is, it's almost like, um, it almost feels like what, what education needs much more now is almost just kind of like yeah, um, the creation of a safe space to allow them to explore you know this world that they're in 
and yeah. knowing that they've got you know knowing they've got they've got a teacher to come back to and say hey i don't understand this why is this happening or why do i feel like this when this is when i when i encounter this particular thing so is that they can just go off and explore and they can develop you know and they can ask all the questions but they know that there's someone there they know that they're not you know, they're not going to fall off the edge you know they're not going to you know, they don't want to wander into the road. You know, there's a there's this boundary, this invisible boundary that that keeps them safe. But within the confines of that, you know, they're they're free within some guidelines to to explore. Right, and I think one of the things we learned in the spring when we first went into distance learning during the pandemic was that if the relationship and the connection was critical to helping kids stay engaged for the long term for the long haul right like if you didn't and we had that because we we had them in school for for several months um this year we know we have to take some time to recreate that we have to build relationship we have to build connection in order to keep kids coming back into virtual spaces um, because it's really easy to tune out in zoom i know i sit through a lot of zoom meetings and it's really easy to just you know not listen and tune out and whatever so so we have to find different and new ways to engage them which is which is part of it but i think the other exciting piece is what are we learning right now that we can take back with us when we physically get back into yeah. school space? what pieces can we take that have been really successful that will help us personalize learning at a whole new level yeah and that's kind of exciting so we continue to try to have those conversations as well and just just to go back on that point how do you create yeah that that engagement to keep you know keep kids coming back to keep them engaged you know what what's what are some of the things that you found you know, kind of work from that perspective well it- i think you hit on it when you talked about play yeah um we try to involve some kind of play and even when kids are online like you know and we have what we call um morning meetings which come out of a program called responsive classroom but Every morning, the class meets as a whole and they play together a little bit and they talk. I mean, they talk about real things and they connect and they share. And so setting that um, intention at the very beginning of the day helps kids start and know what is expected from them through the day. And then they finish all together at the end of the day. So they have what they call a closing circle at the end of the day. And it's another time where kids come back together and can have a chance to say, wow, how was your day? How was your day? It was good, you know, I, I tr- struggled with this, but um, it's it's taking that time to let kids, and it takes longer. Everything online and digitally in Zoom takes longer than it would in the classroom. So you just have to know that too. It just takes longer. I, I love that. I love that you talk about, you know, this, this almost kind of like opening circles and these closing circles, because I think you know, from, you know, from the work that we've done as adults, but also the, the research we've been doing. One of the things we've all lost, you know, and this isn't just kids, you know, we've all, we have all lost the ability to like really openly communicate. Um, yeah. And that sharing is just, yeah, it's just so, so important. Yeah. I, I see that a lot within, you know, within men, I'm not saying it doesn't happen with it, but as a, as a man, we're 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 not encouraged to talk we're not encouraged to share we're not encouraged to show you know quite emotional fear to other you know to other men or be vulnerable but but what i've seen you know in circles that i've been involved in you know when when they do feel safe enough to do that there's a huge kind of relief and there's a huge like you know um huge amount of like care that comes out of that yeah, and I think you know, for 
and perhaps this is one of those things you, know, you said we, we you know, what can we learn from where we are now when we come back into the classroom you know perhaps this is one of those things you know the importance of you know, communication if we can actually get kids talking openly in front of teachers instead of behind teachers backs and sharing uh, openly boys sharing with girls girls sharing with boys boys sharing with boys about the you know their feelings about the challenges that they're having without any kind of shame or fear of of ridicule then that's got to create a whole yeah a whole kind of generation of you know, far more rounded <laughs> um you know, individuals than you know, than we've ever produced before right and again it circles back to empathy right that that's part of the communication piece is do you care enough to really ask someone how they're doing and are you really listening when they tell you the answer to that so yeah. no absolutely um what, one last question i want to ask you and that's kind of like what's if, if there was one thing and it's yeah i know that's a big there's never just one thing but if there was one thing that you could perhaps you know, point to that you believe is you know, the key to preserving you know, that's that kind of genius that create that creativity that innovation that's um that innate kind of growth mindset within children into adulthood you know, what what would that thing be you know if, if you had to say you know, to to a school board yeah if we do nothing else you know, we have to do this one thing because that one thing is going to um is going to allow them to continue to to question um and continue to grow what what do you what would that thing be i think it would be to provide authenticity to the learning in the classroom and that might mean that we step back a little bit from um I mean, we have a lot of standards that we are supposed to cover and rather than rock skip through them all to allow our teachers and our kids to go deep in certain places with with really engaging essential questions so really so it feels real to kids that it feels authentic that it feels important that it doesn't feel like something that i'm just learning and memorizing and checking a box off of and I can forget tomorrow um, because I already took the test. Yeah. So I guess it would be about making space for authenticity and not getting so caught up in the um, covering of a curriculum or a scope and sequence or um, a, a huge bucket of standards, but really narrowing down to those really essential pieces um, and pulling social emotional into support. Which is way more than one thing. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. I, and I did. I would have been amazed if you could have pointed to one thing. Um, <laughs> but but that was a, that was a beautiful answer. And uh, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there are so many things that uh, that become just check boxes, both for teachers and students. Um, and the reality is, if we ask those questions of um, of our young learners. Yeah, you know, we we will perhaps find, and we really listen. We will perhaps find that they actually have some some quite deep and some quite sensible questions about why those things are you know um, part of a part of a checklist. Well, it goes back to your play analogy of yeah bringing kids in and adults sit to the side and the kids dive in and they mm -hmm. they imagine they create they explore and um, so how do we do that in the classroom? How do we put stuff out on the table and say here go at it? 
let's yeah. see what you think first before we before I tell you what it is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm. This times are certainly changing, aren't they? <laughs> they certainly are, and that's a good thing. Yeah, I I think actually, you know, I know this has been a challenging time around the world, um, you know, for for everyone, for parents, for teachers, um, and for children. Um, but I kind of like feel it's it's a it's uh, it's the birthing of you know, new opportunity, you know, especially within the education space, because parents, like you said, all of a sudden have a newfound appreciation for teachers. Um, you know, teachers have a new appreciation, perhaps, for their students because they're realizing they have to teach them in a different way, and you know, perhaps you know, students uh, have an appreciation for both their parents and um, their teachers that they didn't have. You know, seeing you know, how they're having to try and adapt um, in order to continue to you know, to educate and support them. Uh, so I think actually, yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that this is the birthing of a uh, a new era of education. Um, and certainly it, it gives me a lot of hope, you know, to see you know, schools like yours, um, and to see the work that you're doing and, and certainly to see how passionate you are about it. So, um, yeah, thank you for, for what you do from that perspective. Thank you for you know, sharing, um, and challenging, you know, you're, you're one of those rule breakers, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of am. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's a pivotal moment and we can either look forward and look at for new things and new opportunities, or we can turn around and continue to stare backward and think about how we can go back to what we were. And I'm hoping there's enough educators that are, are staying and looking forward. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Cami. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I wish you all the best with, uh, uh, with this new school year. Um, I'm sure it will bring many challenges, but also um, lots of joy and pleasure to, to you and your teaching staff. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for making the time. You're so welcome. It was wonderful chatting with you today. I enjoyed it. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Thank you. We are Sarva. The future of education starts here. <laughs>